0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to Mission View. It's so good to see you all this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church. If this is your first time here with us, we're so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. Good morning, everybody joining us on live stream. um, I know I I saw a bunch of kids. We had our our daughter's graduation party yesterday, and there was a bunch of kids there. Some say hi to all the kids that uh, came to see me yesterday and say, hey, we see you on TV every Sunday. So I guess I'm a TV star. Didn't even know it. All these little kids running up to me at any time. Well, we've been in a uh, a sermon series called Soulmate, and what we've been talking about is is what happens uh, in our relationships. Now, now primarily we've been talking about the marriage relationship, but but what we find out uh, in Scripture is that the biblical principles that God gives us uh, for our marriage relationship transcends just that relationship. That that the human relationship is difficult. It's it's really hard. And and we have to work through really difficult things. And uh, one of the things we know from scripture is that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life. So we have this amazing picture of of what, what, what perfection is, what righteousness is, what goodness is. And and Jesus is that perfect picture for us. So as we, as we talk about relationships that we have with our spouse and, and with our family and with our friends, uh, it's so good for us to open God's word and, and look to it and say, okay, what does, what does God have to say about my marriage? What does God ha- have to say about how I treat my spouse? What does God have to say uh, about how I treat my parents or, or how I, I treat my coworkers? and family members, what does that look like? So, and, and how do I apply that to my life? What, why would my life be any different because I read this book, you know, and, and apply these principles? So um, hopefully you've enjoyed the sermon series so far. Last week, we, we talked about this big church word called repentance. It's like everybody's favorite word, right? I mean, when you go to church, you hear the word repentance, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's, it, it's not always come with good things, right? We think the word repentance, and we think, oh no, you know, it's, What's that all about? And and really what what we found last week is that biblically, repentance just means change. And it comes from this Greek word metanoia, which means you, you do something, you look back at it, you're like, that was bad. I shouldn't do that anymore. I need to change. It's that idea and shift. It's a a total just shift in our thinking as we look back and say, okay, that's wrong. I need to do this differently. So so big church word repentance, it basically means change. It happens because the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Now, this week we're going to be talking about forgiveness and we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, go and open up to Matthew chapter 18. As you're turning there, I wanted to kind of to paint a picture for you today and this might be difficult with my mic on and everything else i need a volunteer from the audience why doesn't somebody with my matching father's day t-shirt come up oh look at emma push her sister out of her chair this is my uh this is my father's day gift my jesus loves you did you know that jesus loves you well jesus loves you this is my father's day gift so addy's go- come on up addy this is my daughter Addie. she just graduated high school I'm going to pay for this, aren't I? <laughs> Good job, kid. Well, what I want to do is paint a picture for you of, of kind of what repentance and forgiveness looks like, okay? Because we have this idea in our mind of like, you know, you say you're sorry and you're just done with things, you know, like, or you do something. and So you play along with me, Addie. This, this is my backpack. It is super heavy. It weighs like 500 pounds. I can barely hold it, okay? So what happens is, let's say I'm just, you know, going about life. I'm going to set this down for a second. I'm going about life, and I do or say something or think something sinful. <gasps> you know, yes, that happens, even with me. It all happens with all of us. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a level playing field where we're all sinners trusting in Christ for our salvation, you know. So that's, that's good. It's a level playing field. But I mess up, right? And so I mess up, and this thing's super heavy, and it's like thrown right onto my back. And I'm like, oh, oh, my gosh. I sinned against Addy. And I, this thing is weighing me down. And this, this, is, this is the weight of guilt and shame and all that goes along with that You know, that feeling of angst that you have when maybe you've told a little white lie or you've, you've, you've taken something you shouldn't have or, or anything's going on. You've you got this weight on your back and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to deal with this. And the Holy Spirit shows up. He shows up in your heart and this shame and, and, and guilt is accompanied by a sweet conviction it's not condemnation there's this gracious merciful kind voice a whisper saying Matt there's a better way there's there's a better better way for you Matt you need to go to Adeline and ask for her forgiveness and so I hear I have this weight that's weighing me down and you know this is one of the hardest things for human humans right like, this is so humiliating and humbling, but it's so healthy that I would go to my daughter and I would say, Addie, when I said that, that was, that was wrong and sinful. Will you forgive me? She usually says no. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like our matching shirts. It's my daughter. So what happens is, as she says, yes, Dad, I, I forgive you, what I'm doing is I'm taking this 500 pounds and I'm saying okay, thank you. Yep. And I'm like, whoo, I'm free. I feel great. This is awesome. I, you know, I, am a new man. You know, have you ever felt that? Like the weight of guilt and shame is lifted because of the sweet conviction the Holy Spirit's brought and you ask for forgiveness and you're a new person and you're great. Addie, how are you feeling? It's heavy. That's heavy, isn't it? And, so what happens is this, this process that happens in repentance we get to that point, we go to the person, we ask for their forgiveness, and, it, and I would say it this way, it's, Addie, forgive me for doing this. Here's what I'm going to do, I'm about these three things I'm going to do to make sure that I never do that to you again. Okay. So here's these three things, and I'll list off these three things, to make sure that I have boundaries in our relationship to guard my daughter from anything that I've done like that, right? So we have this whole process, but I feel great, you know, the, the weight's been lifted, but now what we're going to be talking about this week, and thanks, Addie, that's great, okay, thank thanks. you so much. Yep. I'll buy you ice cream for that. (laughs) So, So now Addie has this huge weight that she has to deal with. Repentance feels like it's in an instant because that weight's been lifted. But forgiveness is a process that now the person you've sinned against takes this heavy backpack full of stuff and they have to go to the Lord with it. They have to say, God, you know, I want to forgive. I want to forgive my spouse. I want to forgive my mom. I want to forgive my dad. I want to forgive my boss. But, man, this hurts. This is painful. This is heavy. What do I do with this, right? You know, the, the whole story in Scripture is a story of redemption and restoration. And at the heart of redemption and restoration is love and grace and mercy And Jesus Christ. So as we talk about repentance and we talk about forgiveness, what I really want us to look at and think about is the person of Jesus Christ. What he did for you and me. And if you're here for the first time, maybe you've never heard this before, but but Jesus was a real man. And he was God. He was the God-man. He came down from heaven to earth to do what no person could do other than him. He would live a perfect life in thought and in deed. And in so doing, he did that for you and me, and and he did that so that that we would be set free and that we would be in a right relationship with God. And all that it takes is for us to acknowledge him, his perfect life, and the death that he suffered on the cross for you and me. It It was our sin that put him there. And he died the sinner's death that you and I deserve, and he rose the third day defeating death and sin for you and me. That's the good news of the gospel and the perfect picture of grace, mercy, repentance, forgiveness that we find. So that's really at the heart of what we're going to be talking about. All right, you're in Matthew 18, right? Let's look at verse 15. This is great. We call this the Matthew 18 principle. There's actually a ton of stuff in Matthew 18 that's really good, some principles in here, but we'll start in verse 15. It says this, and this is kind of where repentance and forgiveness starts. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. I'm going to stop us right there. Cuz I think we have a real problem with this. I don't know about you. I don't know about you, but who here enjoys conflict? Anyone? Anyone? I mean, you live for it. You're on the edge of your seat right now just going, you're making lists of people. You're excited. We've been talking about repentance, and we've been talking about forgiveness, and you're just like, oh yeah, I can't wait to call this guy, and I can't wait to call this, le- you know what, no, I'm just, no. it's hard, isn't it? Conflict, I mean, most of us, a majority of us, not all of us, but but most of us avoid conflict at all costs, man. We just don't want to deal with it. It's not pretty. I don't know about you, but if I ever have to confront somebody like in that sinned against me or hurt my feelings my heart starts to race, I start to sweat profusely, and I start to stumble over my words as I'm going to them, and I'm just like, oh, this is, so, this is so difficult. It's really hard. But what does the Bible tell us to do? What's it say there in verse 15? If your brother sins against you, you might want to maybe, if you feel like it, go and talk to him. Is that what it says? No. No. It says, go and tell him his fault. Why is this so important? Why is avoiding conflict very dangerous sometimes? Because what what Jesus is getting at here is is he wants something better in the relationships of Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants our relationships to be free from from these things that that hinder uh, unity. That hinder excuse me, the truth and, and honesty in relationships. So, so really, when we kind of brush it over or say, you ever heard this saying, it's, it's, oh, it's water under the bridge, don't worry about it, water under the bridge. When we pass on this kind of stuff and just don't deal with it, it is sinful. Because God has something better for our brother and sister in Christ. How are, how are they going to grow? If no one ever talks to them about how they maybe talk to people or how they treat people or, or how they, you know, uh, blend a little bit of lies in with the truth to get their way, what if they're manipulating people? What, what if they don't see it? Why Jesus is telling us to go and confront people is because God has something better for you and me. And he has something better for those we're in relationship with. And that's a part of the real relationships uh, in, our, in our lives. Here, look, look what he says more here. He says, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, here's a key, key thing here. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have gained your sister. Now, he gets into some deeper stuff here. But, it, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So this, this idea of a meeting with somebody one-on-one in private, trying to address it and, and, and have them acknowledge it and, and grow through it, and if they're just, you know, not having any, any part of it, take two or three. And, and what I would say about this is two or three Christian brothers or sisters that love this person, that care about this person, that, that have some... Some change in their pocket with this person. There's there's relationship there. You're not, you're not teaming up to go and beat them down. This is, remember this that the Christian life is all about restoration and redemption. So it's going to them in the hopes of, of seeing restoration and seeing them redeemed, right? So, so think of, of who you would take in that situation. That's step two. Step one, one-on-one. Step two, don't post it on Facebook, don't post it on Instagram. Go to them with two or three trusted people. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven for two or three Are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now, this is one of the most misquoted scriptures in all all of the Bible. It says here, excuse me, I'm going to cough this morning. I don't know why. I was probably singing too loud as I was playing guitar. (laughs) But um, maybe I can hold that off. But one of the most most misquoted scriptures in all the Bible. Because what does it say, say there? It says, wherever two or more gathered in my name, there I am among them. There's the authority, right? And, and that, a lot of people just throw that scripture out there and cover all kinds of things. But in the context of our scripture today, it's conflict resolution. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. He's saying, listen, when those two or three have gathered to this person, when the, the church has gathered to this person, are calling them to redemption and restoration, calling them to repentance and wanting to offer forgiveness and working towards this restoration, I'm going to be in that decision I'm going to be in that moment. The Holy Spirit's going to show up. You're not going to be on your own. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know these are very hard things to work through, but I'm going to be in it. I'm in the mess. I want to meet you in the mess. So don't worry. You know, I know all the angst and things that go along with this conflict resolution, but I want you to know I'm here with you. You're not on your own in that. That's really what he's getting at. So this is, this story, this Matthew 18 principle, I wanted to briefly go over that, and it's very brief, but I wanted to go over that to kind of say, this is kind of where this starts. Now, I wanted to say, too, there's another scripture that says, let love cover, love covers a multitude of sins, and and I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think in our hearts that there are times in our, our lives where people sin against us, And God can do a miraculous work through the power of his Holy Spirit to really work forgiveness in our hearts. And that love can cover sins that happen in our lives. So here's one thing that I've done to kind of watch out for that as people have sinned against me. I'll wait two or three days in prayer. And after after the third day, if what they've done against me is still really bothering me and it's really, you know, a thorn in my side... um, I will go to that person and then confront them and talk them, work through the Matthew 18 principle. But sometimes God does a miraculous work of working forgiveness in our hearts as love covers those things. So I wanted to add that on as well. Just a brief... Um, look back at what we talked about in repentance the first step last week is that we found out that repentance is the fruit of godly grief or godly sorrow. We found out there's two types of sorrow, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. We found out that godly sorrow uh, leads to life and repentance and and worldly sorrows lead to death. And what we really got at the the middle of, of godly repentance or godly sorrows is that I'm not sorry that I got caught I'm not sorry about my consequences. I'm sorry that I had sinned against God who loves me and has forgiven me. And my sin is first and foremost against him. My heart is broken by that sin against him. Worldly sorrow would say, oh, man, now I have to deal with all this stuff. I can't believe I got caught. And that leads to death. So repentance is the fruit of godly grief or godly sorrow. And then we looked through those fruits. The first one was that an earnestness. The second one was an eagerness to clear yourself. Another one is repentance produces indignation, anger, ire, rage, fury, wrath. You know, we look at the sins that we've committed. It just makes us so mad that that sin caused so much harm, and, and it's this selfless. You know, where it's a selfless view. Indignation, a righteous indignation against that sin and how the harm it's done and the sin against God. Repentance produces fear, a fear recognizing that that God is our judge, a fear, this sense of awe, you know, like we're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon looking at this amazing creation, that God created that and he created you and me, that he sustains our life, that every breath is based on him sustaining it, this healthy, beautiful fear or sense of awe. Thank you so much, Adam. Uh, towards God, we also saw that repentance produces longing. This word we saw that could also be uh, translated a vehement desire, a vehement desire to see restoration happen in our relationships. And the last one, I think it's the last one. Repentance produces zeal. No, there's one more. Zeal, this zeal for righteousness and going after the ways of God. And the last one is punishment. That we are willing to take on the consequences and not view them as terrible, but view our consequences as a grace from God. That God loves me so much, he's going to allow me to walk through the hard stuff. To really show me... I mean, when we walk through the hard stuff, it makes me think, I don't ever, ever, ever want to make that mistake again. Right? That we would view our consequences as a grace from God, as he's working in our hearts to change us. So that's kind of the Matthew 18 principle, how that is the start of this beautiful picture of repentance. And now we're getting to the second side of this coin, forgiveness. Forgiveness. How many people here have had to forgive somebody? Anyone? It's like every hand that's in the place, right? Like there's this... this, this the reality of the human nature, that we have to deal with this. So let's look and see what God's Word really tells us about uh, forgiveness. So, all right, let's see here. The first one, and you should have some notes today that you can follow along with. The first fill-in in in your notes is this. And what we're going to find out is that forgiveness is required. Forgiveness is required. Matthew 6, 15 says this, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then again in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And again in First 1 John 1, nine, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we we see here in all these scriptures, and I could have added a ton more, but what we really get at is what we see in scriptures that forgiveness isn't just expected, it is required, That, that we would have a heart bent towards forgiveness. Now, man, that's hard to hear, isn't it? Because what happens in our relationships, in those trust relationships, those closest relationships, and the marriage relationship where we're most vulnerable and somebody sins against us, it cuts us to our very core. Now, you heard me say that forgiveness is required, and it is. And you may be sitting out there thinking, that's impossible, You don't know what I've been through. You don't see what people have done to me and harmed me in the deepest, deepest ways. I'm not saying forgiveness is easy, but I want you to know that through the power of God, the Holy Spirit living in you, forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is possible. God can do that in your heart no matter what has happened. God can and will and wants to work forgiveness in your life. So what does, what does biblical forgiveness look like? Now, wisdom tells us that if, if someone has sinned against us in a certain way uh, for, let's say, for some time. Like they sin against us in, in the same way over and over again. And they've come to us, you know, a million times it seems like. And they've said, oh, I'm so sorry for doing this. Will you please forgive me? And you're like... I know the Bible says 70 times 7, but man, you know, I think we passed that seven years ago, right? Wisdom would tell us, and and this is something I wanted to share too, is that restoration in relationships looks different sometimes than what we expect. Here's what I mean. When we are sinned against in habitual ways and we see that in someone's life, the, the Bible tells us we should use wisdom and that restoration can come with healthy boundaries in our lives. So, so let's say somebody's sinned against you in the same way over and over and over again over for 10 years. You know, you're, we talked about those, the repentance, the fruits of repentance in our lives. And you're going, man, I'm not seeing any of that stuff in this. And well, what wisdom would say is that you need to set healthy boundaries and, and, and pray for that person, that, that God really grants them repentance and, and you see a real change in them but what we do in restoration in that situation is that we put healthy boundaries in our lives and and this person if they're truly repentant, we'll appreciate those boundaries, you know, maybe it's a limited time together, and, and it's a really keeping an eye on things, and that this person's in accountability relationships with other people, and they are faithful in walking through that, and, and that this restoration could take a season of time, that, that we're going to review this after three months, and see how God's working in your life, and then we're going to review again in six months, and then we're going to move back in as a couple, you know, as married couple, and, and Whatever that looks like. So restoration sometimes looks different. And forgiveness, working through that forgiveness, um, takes time. What we find in Jeremiah 31, 34 and Isaiah 43, 25, it really says the same thing. It says in Jeremiah, For I, and this is the Lord, For I will forgive their iniquity or their sin, and I will remember their sin no more. Now that's really good news. Does anybody think that's good news? God will remember our sins no more. Now, we know that God is God, all powerful, all knowing, and has perfect memory, right? So he could remember our sins if he wanted to. But here's what we know about God, too, is that he has perfect power and control over his memory. So if he says he chooses to remember their sins or my sins no more, he can really do that. So as he looks down at us, he sees us as if we had never sinned. Isaiah 43, 25 says this, I, I am he, this is the Lord, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That is great news. That is great news for you and me, that God sees us when he looks down at us. He sees us as perfect because we've trusted in Jesus Christ, and his blood covers our sins And so God sees us through, you know, when we go to heaven, He's not gonna ask for your resume, He's gonna see Christ's resume. That is really good news. But it's also really hard news. (laughs) Because here's where it gets difficult. God is the perfect model of forgiveness. And so, as I purpose in my heart to forgive those who've sinned against me, that's the model that, that I work from. I'm not God. I don't have perfect control of my memory. You know, I don't know about you, but when, when somebody sins against me, somebody I've trusted, somebody I've been vulnerable with, you know, maybe they lie about me or they put something on Facebook that was confidential or, you know, they go talk about me. I'm like, man, I don't have a great memory, but when it comes to something like that, it's like a lockbox, baby. I could bring it up anytime. I mean, it's like, I don't, we, we hold on to those things. It's like, oh, I remember. I remember what you did. You know, 20 years ago, we were in second grade. I remember. I remember. No, we, we like to hold on to those things. So, what I want to pull out of these two scriptures about how God forgives us through what Christ has done for you and me are four things we can be intentional about in how we forgive those who've sinned against us, okay? So, these are four practical things out of those two scriptures. The first one, I call this the promises of forgiveness. You may want to write these down. They might be in your notes already, but the four promises of forgiveness. The first one is this. I will not dwell on it, right? I will not dwell on it. That's what we like to do, though, right? When I'm sinned against and I'm hurting and it feels like I've got a gaping wound, that's all I think about. I'm walking around. I wake up Monday morning. I'm like, I can't believe that. I can't believe they said that about me. And I've got this little evil lawyer on this shoulder saying, oh, you're better than them. You know, you did this, you did this right, you were kind, you were forgiving, you were, you were confidential, you kept their secrets and all this, but no, no, they just went off about you, right? And it, you, just, you start justifying how great you are and amazing you are and how terrible they are and you just dwell on it. I mean, we, we're really good at that, you know? Mulling it over and replaying it over and over again in different scenarios and walking it through what we can purpose in our hearts to do when, when I say, when Addie was up here and she said to me, I forgive you, this is what she's saying. I'm not going to dwell on it. Now I'm not God and I'm not perfect in this. But as, as I'm walking out this, this process of forgiveness, I'm going to try by the power of the Holy Spirit to not dwell on this anymore. The second promise of forgiveness. I will not bring this up again and use it against you. And that's another <laughs> hard one, isn't it? That's that's when we do all the. I mean, we just we have a tendency to do this, is that you know, um, as this person is working through change, true repentance, you know, we're gonna he's gonna mess up or she's gonna mess up because we're human. We're not Jesus. You know, as we walk through these things, we're gonna it's you know I've said it this way before, but sanctification or change is is three steps forward sometimes, and then two steps back. You know, the next week it's it's five steps forward. And it's three steps back, right? And then the next day, but what we find is, over time, we've made so much progress, that God's done so much in us by the power of His Holy Spirit. So as that person's working through forgiveness, and, you know, they take the, the person's repenting, they take those three steps back, the person is trying to work through forgiveness. Ah, see? You did it! You did it again! You know, and, and, and we remind them of this, you know, here we are. But, And sometimes we like to kind of ignore the the progress that the Holy Spirit's really making in that person's life. It's so challenging. This is, these two, this repentance and forgiveness is so simple. It really is. But so, so difficult. It's really difficult, these promises. Only, only by the power of the Holy Spirit God living in us can we do this. Can we really do this and see freedom The third promise of forgiveness is this. I will not talk to others about this. I will not talk to others about this. So I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to bring it up and use it against you. And I'm not going to go and call all my friends and tell them how terrible you are. (laughs) Right? That's another tendency, right? As we're walking around with this huge wound and it's it's hurting us, we want to, to just commiserate with someone and say, this is what's happened. I can't believe this. I'm just, this is, you know... That's what we want someone to come alongside of us and care for us. And, and, and that can be good. You know, as, as you're, you're talking with someone and you have an accountability partner or someone to pray with you, that's totally different than gossiping about someone who's sitting against you. So that's a fine line. That's a really fine line. But that's, that's something we need to consider. The last, the last promise of forgiveness, the fourth promise of forgiveness is this. I will not allow this to stand between us or hinder our relationship. That our hearts would be purposed towards restoration. That we would be more concerned that the gospel, the good news, forgiveness and grace and mercy of God through the person of Jesus Christ would be represented in my relationship. That's what I'm most concerned about. That God would be glorified in my actions. That God would be glorified in my marriage. That God would be glorified in the relationships in my life. We can't control what other people do. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, seeing God do things in us, we can do the right thing. So those are the four promises of forgiveness. And we we get those from Jeremiah 31, 34 and Isaiah 43, 25. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to bring it up and use it against you. I'm not going to talk to others about this and I will not allow this to stand and hinder our relationship. Now these, that's, it's easy to say that but it's really, really difficult to do. So how do we do it? How do we put this to work in our lives? We have to see God's grace and mercy for me. When I think about the sins that other people have committed against me, I have this little tendency to think that oh that that is sin. That is that is bold, blatant, rebellious sin they committed against me. It is huge. It is a mountain. They are the biggest sinner I know. I trusted them. They hurt me. I am gutted. I am miserable. They are sinners. But what we have to recognize is the sins that I've committed. What has God done in my life? There's a great scripture talks about before you go and address the speck in your brother's eye, you have to deal with the log in your own. What I want to get from that scripture is that before I go and deal with sin in somebody's life. I have to view my sin as big and their sin as small. And the only way that I can do that and walk that out is look at the sins that I've been forgiven of because of what Christ had did. This is what we know, that while I was yet a sinner, while I was an enemy of God, all the the horrible things I said and all the unbelievably Awful things I did. Christ went to the cross for me while I was in that mess of sin. Paul said it this way, I am the chief of sinners. The guy who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament says, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the number, I'm the one, I'm the worst. How does he get there and really believe that? How do we get there and really believe that? What has Christ saved you from? We find the power to forgive those who sin against us at the foot of the cross. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's not like we're at the foot of the cross and woe is me. I'm the worst person. There is a part of that, right? But that's not where we live. We live at the grace and mercy and redemption that we found in Christ. I'm not making light of my sin. It's awful, it's horrible, it's miserable, and it's hurt so many people. But God's grace and mercy is so much greater. He saved me from all that mess and sin by grace and mercy, there's nothing I've done would merit that kind of favor and grace and goodness. But he's full of grace and mercy and goodness. And when I recognize that kind of grace, that kind of favor, unwarranted, unmerited favor and goodness. Then, then I can turn to somebody who's hurt me. And say, you know what? The cross of Jesus Christ was big enough for my sin and it's big enough for yours too. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'm going to walk through forgiveness with you. And here's what forgiveness looks like. Amen? That's Biblical repentance, biblical forgiveness, and how we walk that out. Come to the, well, we're about to sing the song, Come to the Altar, but I would say come to the cross. Come to the cross of Christ. If you're struggling, if someone has hurt you, if you're going through something difficult, come to the cross of Christ. Find freedom from that pain and suffering. Come and see, receive, a new, deeper revelation of His grace and mercy. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the grace and mercy we find from You in the person of Jesus Christ. And I just pray for those out there here today and watching online that have struggled with the pain and suffering of sin, that someone has sinned against them, God. And I just pray that, that you would move on the person's heart that has sinned against them, that you would grant them repentance, a true repentance, and, and we would see restoration of relationships. And I just pray for those out there today that are hurt, that are suffering, God, I pray your Holy Spirit would work a miracle in their lives, that you would work forgiveness in their lives. Give them strength. Give them courage. Father, we just say we are dependent on you. Give us a fresh revelation of the cross of Christ. May it fuel our lives that we would be filled with you in Jesus' name. Amen.